tuning in to Talking Bay 94, the Star Wars podcast devoted to interviews with the cast, crew, and creators of a galaxy far, far away. I'm your host, Brandon Winerdy, and today I'm talking to Sam Witwer, who you may know as Starkiller from The Force Unleashed and, of course, the voice of Maul in The Clone Wars, Rebels, and Solo. We talked a few days before the first episode of The Siege of Mandalore premiered, so buckle up for almost an hour of incredible stories, lore, and the importance of George Lucas' Star Wars. This is Talking Bay 94, episode 61, Sam Witwer. Well, cool. I don't want to take too much of your time because I know I know you must be so busy. But first off, thanks for uh, lighting Star Wars Twitter on fire last night uh, <laughs> by posting that. Uh, but that's that's really exciting that we're finally getting it. Yeah, yeah. I was very excited yesterday. Yesterday was the um, first time that I'd seen these episodes. Um, you know, and I, I remember the scripts. In fact, I I just realized I stole uh, the scripts. Yeah, which I'm not supposed to do. I'm not supposed to have those in my possession. Um, but uh, but yesterday was, yesterday was the first time seeing them, and I, I still haven't seen the last one. They, mm-hmm. There was a little mix-up, and I'm getting the last one today. Oh. But uh, they were uh, thrilling. They were really a cut above. Wow. I would love to, I mean, because you're such a big Star Wars fan, and that's been such a, an undercurrent through all of this, and that's why it's so exciting to see your career kind of go through all of these different roles and different opportunities. But I'd love to just talk, what was your first experience with Star Wars? Like, what made you love it uh, to begin with? My first experience with Star Wars was my father bringing home a um, in an, an incomplete bootleg VHS, which I guess really... Uh, mirrors what I'm going through right now, where I got an incomplete screening of, <laughs> of the final movie. Um, he brought home, there was this guy uh, who who would take video camera equipment, um, which back then had to be attached to a full VCR uh, via, you know, a tether cable, and pointed at a movie screen and videotape movies and uh, presumably sell the bootlegs. Uh-huh. And so my dad came home, it's a buddy of his. <laughs> My dad being a lawyer, about weird. Um, uh, and he came home with, he said, he said, listen, this is a part of Star Wars. The, the, the bootleg got m- messed up, but we're going to get the rest of the movie later. And so he, show, he showed me the movie, and it was, um, I believe it was a big chunk of the end, starting with the Obi-Wan, Darth Vader um, fight, or, or, or maybe... Maybe it was them running around the Death Star, but it was some, something on the Death Star, including the Obi-Wan Vader fight. And I just watched that over and over and over again. And then he brought on the whole movie and I watched that over and over again. And then, and then um, I know that when I was about three, because movies were re-released in the theaters a lot back then. It, there wasn't, you know, there was no streaming. There was the home video market was still in its infancy. Uh, not everyone had VCRs. So um, I remember seeing Star Wars in the theater. I must have been three or four years old. Um, because I think it, after the Empire Strikes Back, it came out, they re-released Star Wars, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, hard to know. Hard to know when these events occurred. The one that I can remember vividly seeing the first time in the theater was Return of the Jedi and being old enough to really understand the, what was at stake. And that was uh, incredible. But Star Wars, I mean, it came out, it came out the same year I came out. So <laughs> and I was yeah. born in 77. Yeah. So, um, so I grew up quoting the movies. So those were my first experiences with Star Wars. And then my next, the next major milestone, aside from loving the movies and playing with the toys when I was a kid, the next major milestones, uh, milestone was um, the Star Wars role-playing game by West End Games. Yeah, and that was when I first had the sense that there was a world beyond the frame 
of the movie, you know, beyond the frame that we would see on the screen. If you, you know, peeked into a corner, there was a whole world over there. And if you peeked into another corner, there was a whole world over there. And, you know, I was sat there reading about, you know, my God, there's a lightsaber crystal inside a lightsaber. What, what is that? You know, and, uh, reading about that, that, uh, that the emperor had a name and his name was Palpatine and he was a Senator once. And you're like, Uh what, 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 what? So, and wondering all about what the Clone Wars were and all this stuff. So, yeah. So, so the movies obviously made me a, a fan for life, but the, the role playing game made me a uh, a deeper kind of fan. I think it really locked me into the minutia and the little details and wanting to learn about the universe as much as I could. So, there's my long answer to your. No, I love it. Direct. I love it, and, and, and I love seeing kind of the West End games still living, especially in the animated. Uh, shows I think Rebels is pretty much just a long form playthrough of of a West End game map. It seems like and yeah, uh, isn't it though? Yeah, where you know the interdictor appears and all kinds of stuff. I I remember when Dave was getting Rebels up and running. I gave him a a good condition copy of the Imperial source book from West End Games, <laughs> and in it you can read about Inquisitors and all kinds of crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, now the Inquisitors in that book, as described, aren't quite entirely full formed the inquisitors that you see in star wars rebels but the the seeds of the idea are are there and uh yeah so yeah it's it's really wonderful that um the thing that i like that dave does and that george did is that uh they always ask themselves the question like if they're if they're looking like hey i want to tell a story about i don't know witches let's do it the force witches let's tell you know and then someone They'll ask the question, well, wait, do we already have something like that? Before we go on and make something, do we have something like that? They're like, well, what about this? The Night Sisters of Dathomir, they look like this. They like this. They were in this. This is the story with them. And George would be like, okay, great. That's terrific. There's our, those are our witches. I really like that. Let's develop it. Let's, let's you know, take what's been done, but let's also take it in our own direction. Let's adopt it into the George Lucas uh version of star wars so you know i i love that so when i was watching rebels you know seeing the tie defender show up <laughs> stuff like that i'm like oh come on man yeah. this is wonderful this is beautiful or you know using thrawn you know like going we need the empire at some point to come into focus as a real credible threat because in season one of rebels they're they're basically facing the hometown bully joins the empire version right. of the empire and then later they start facing the real empire which is the Darth Vader led, you know, efficient military force. And okay, we need a great military commander. Wait, don't we already have one? Thrawn would be a really good fit for that, wouldn't he? All right, great. Let's let's develop Thrawn. Let's do it. And it really it what it does is it casts all these stories as being a part of a greater tapestry of legends and myths and tall tales and all that stuff. I mean, you know, even even for example, you know, I mean, like I, I got a kick out of watching in The Mandalorian the flame trooper that walks up. I'm like, yeah. well, that, there he is directly out of force unleashed. That's, right. that's the flame trooper from force unleashed, the same markings on the armor and everything. I'm like, this is wonderful that they're, that they're mining that stuff because there are such good ideas that are, that are hidden in the past like that. And the other, and the, and the thing, the reason those ideas are important, I think, and I, I you know, I, I, I don't want to speak for Dave, but I feel like he thinks the same way. The reason those ideas are important are not just because they are good ideas. Um, it's important because those were the ideas that kept Star Wars alive 
uh, when there were no movies or TV shows or any of that stuff. You had the first three movies, and then for a long time, Star Wars went away. But then there was Heir to the Empire, and there was the Star Wars role-playing game, and there was the X-Wing series of video games and Dark Forces and all this stuff. And that's what kept it alive for the hardcore nucleus of a fan base. So in a way, you have to honor that stuff. You have to go back to that stuff if you can, you know? And, and then it makes it feel like it's still part of the world, even when it is something new. And it's, you know, that flame trooper shot you have in the background, the troop transport from the Kenner action figures, you know? And it's just kind of like always building right. on, on the galaxy. Well, I mean, your, yeah. your first introduction to the to this galaxy is what you were talking about through the video games. And how did you first get involved with uh, The Force Unleashed? There's an artist named Amy Beth Christensen who was very, very good at her job. She created, uh, you know, they were developing this idea of Darth Vader having a secret apprentice and they were talking to George Lucas and all this stuff. And so Amy um, was charged with uh, coming up with concepts of what that character might be like. And there were a lot of different concepts and uh, tons. There's, there's a whole, you know, like I have on my hard drive, you know, artwork of all the various dozens of designs and the one they settled on was this beat up looking kid with a shaved head and and uh sort of dark features uh darker features um not necessarily his you know his skin tone because he was very pale <laughs> but um he looked like he had dirt kicked in his face right yeah so my buddy uh david collins was working at lucasarts at the time and uh and also Peter Hirschman, who was the vice president of LucasArts, um, was aware of my work from Battlestar Galactica. And Dara O'Farrell, who was the head of the sound department, who also directed most all of the projects back then, you know, um, directed the voice cast. And, and uh, they all, I guess, David kind of tapped him on the shoulder and goes, you know, my buddy looks like that. <laughs> You guys seen Battlestar Galactica? He looks like he looks like the art that Amy Beth Christensen painted. He looks like that. <laughs> And they're like, well, great. You know, and, and, and David slipped my headshot into the pile. He actually called me up one night. I was at my brother's rehearsal dinner and he goes, listen, man, uh, can you talk? I'm like, well, I'm at the rehearsal <laughs> dinner. He's like, no, you, you need to talk right now. Let's talk. I need you to send me your headshot and resume and your reel. I'm like, okay, why? He's like, well, Darth Vader has a secret apprentice. I'm like, what? What do you, what? What? And he's like, shut up. I never said anything. Forget that I said that. Just send me your stuff. And he took that stuff and he slipped it into the pile. And I guess because my headshot looked I mean, almost identical to Amy's painting. Uh, my headshot made it to the top of the pile. And then next thing I know, like a month or two later, I'm auditioning. And I was told by Hayden Blackman, the lead of the project and the writer of Force Unleashed, that the moment I got the role was the following moment. I, there, was a, there was a scene, because all of the scenes in the, that we were auditioning, we were auditioning three different scenes, and they were all very character neutral right mm -hmm. you could read them in a million different ways right and you know and i was like well, what do you want for the <laughs> character do you want like a sort of a more innocent wide-eyed youth do you want a cynical beat up type guy he's like what he's like 18 and they're like well george thinks he's anywhere from 16 to 25 i'm like okay <laughs> great cool, okay yeah. um but what do you, what do you want? You know, I, I could read this 50 different ways. And they said, okay, well then let's read it 50 different ways. I'm like, okay, <laughs> sure. Fine. Yeah. Um, and there was this one scene where he is, um, he is 
deconstructing and reconstructing his lightsaber using the force. Like he's meditating and he's, um, and he's, he's messing with his lightsaber, you know, levitating it in front of him. And the way that I played it was rather tense, kind of white knuckling it through this, this exercise. And after we did that once, someone there, as I remember, Hayden said to me, why are you doing it like that? You're supposed to be meditating. And this is a moment of peace. Why are you performing it? Like it's so tense. And I said, well, he doesn't know what meditation is. This is his version of meditation. He's, he's, he's looking at it from a Sith perspective. He's forcing it because he would have been trained to seek conflict and, and tension um, rather than peace. He doesn't know how to do that. And at that point I, I saw a whole bunch of people all looking at each other <laughs> and it was like, okay, let's try it again. And I was told that that was the moment that I got the role. They were like, you were already thinking like a Sith. Uh, <laughs> so, so that was it. And, and, you know, going forward, David Collins, so as he helped me get that role, I, I, um, a little bit, I, you really, you know, we, we hadn't cast proxy yet, even when we were shooting and we, you know, uh, Natalie Cox and Cully Fredrickson, and, and we were all doing the, our thing for Force Unleashed. And uh, we all looked like the characters. At that point, we were getting scanned in and literally becoming the characters instead of just it being a painting that looked kind of like me. Suddenly, all the concept art looked exactly like <laughs> me, which was incredible. Yeah. But we were um, doing this, and, and they hadn't cast Proxy, and there was some thought that they would cast um, kind of a comedic celebrity I, I won't tell you who they were thinking of but they had some thoughts in mind some people who uh, actually one of them is being a friend of mine and he doesn't know to this day that he was being considered for proxy um but but they hadn't cast him and so they needed someone to read for proxy so david collins being this was his lead the first time he was a lead sound designer on a no no, no i'm sorry this is his first lead sound designer was republic commando and now he was leading force unleashed and so he was just he's also an actor so he was just reading David Collins was. And as he read it, we all kind of observed that the humor was dead on. Uh -huh. And it was coming from a place of sincerity rather than a place of being kitschy or, you know, quippy. That he was coming from a place of not understanding, uh, coming from a place of sincerity, com coming from a place of thinking, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to kill you. That's what you want, right? I'm programmed to kill you, my friend. So I'm not being a good friend if I haven't killed you. I feel really bad that I didn't slice your head off right there. And that I'm sorry, I'll try to do better. You know, <laughs> this, this Sith training droid who's, who's, who has this childlike naive thing to him, but he's constantly trying to kill the apprentice, right. you know, Vader would have programmed him that way. And, and we all had a you know moment where we were freaking out, where we realized that Vader built this droid. Um, but, but Collins was, was bringing that to it. And at some point, people were kind of going, I kind of like Anthony Daniels was never supposed to do 3PO's voice. I know that maybe people were thinking different things for this character, but maybe this is right. right. Besides which, when we're shooting, this is what I'm reacting to. This is the character that I'm reacting to. So at this point, I feel like, I said to Hayden Blackman, I said, listen, man, I think, I know he's my friend, but I feel like whoever you get or whatever celebrity you hire Dara is just going to have to direct him to do what David's already doing. So just think about that. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then going forward, they were like, okay, David, you got the part. <laughs> You're proxy. So here, here I am 
with one of my best friends, David Collins, making our own Star Wars. That's, it was incredible. That's crazy. I really, really loved yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, and that's also the opportunity that you first, you know, voiced Palpatine. It really was the first time that at least Star Wars fans were introduced to you. It was a fun, I think, couple years where you were in pretty much every show I was watching. You would just like pop up. It was like, oh, BSG. Oh, Smallville. <laughs> oh, Dexter, right? And you're like, oh, crap. Uh, Walking Dead, The Mist, right? So what was it like then returning to Star Wars a few years later for Clone Wars? And first as as the son and one of my favorite arcs and one of the most George Lucasy arcs of all time. Um, what was that? Um, inspiration for you and where did you kind of pull that character from the whole key to that character i i would not discover until dave filoni lied to me basically <laughs> uh, when clone wars came out clone, clone wars came out around the same exact time as force unleashed and i watched it i went to the theater and saw the the, the movie and the movie was not very well received and i remember talking with David Collins and, and going, you know, it's not really fair that that movie was in the theater because when you're in the theater, <laughs> you're up against not only the Star Wars movies, but you're also up against Pixar and some really incredible animated movies. And these guys are not operating with that kind of budget. They're making a TV show and they're doing it a lot faster and a lot, you know, with a TV show, it's a relentless schedule. And so from the perspective of a TV show and I, and we knew, we knew, you know, because David was still at, with Lucasfilm. So we knew that the Clone Wars, the, the movie was basically four episodes stitched together into a movie. So we're like, you know, if you put this on TV, people would go, wow, this is really beautiful, right? This is a beautiful work. Put it in a movie theater. And, and again, you're expecting your expectations are totally different. So, you know, it's not that well received with the with the hardcore fans, but it is actually, you know, where the movie succeeded. People knew it existed, right? Like it, it let people know that there was a Star Wars TV show now. And so there was definitely a lot of curiosity over that. And, you know, I, when I started watching season one of Clone Wars, I, I, I was glad they were doing it, but it was clearly not for me. It was for a younger audience. And I thought that was great. I'm like, yeah, Star Wars really should be parts of it that really, I mean, hell, George Lucas says the whole thing is made for 12 year olds, but, uh, but the audience is rather universal. So Clone Wars pitching toward the younger audience made a lot of sense to me. And while I didn't love it, I respected it. I respected what they were doing. And I, and I thought that their work for a TV show, I'm like, this is one of the most beautiful animated TV shows ever. This is incredible. You know, and they're, and they're really trying to tell stories for young people, and that's great. Uh, when season two came out of the Clone Wars and it started aging itself, you know, like the stories got a little bit more sophisticated and the animation got better and everything, everything was, was stepped a little bit. And I remember going, this is interesting. What are they doing here? This is, okay, I'm, I'm starting to, be, to become intrigued by some of the questions that they're asking in this show. So by the end of, you know, by mid midpoint of season two, I had actually become a Clone Wars fan. I was like, you know I really like it. I really like the show. <laughs> cool. Um, and, uh, and it was around then that they called, I got a call and they're like, would you like to be part of Clone Wars? And I had just become a fan of Clone Wars. <laughs> I finally, it was like, you know, I like it. And so I was like, yes, I would love to come and be a part of Clone Wars. And I, and I knew exactly what they were doing. They wanted to cross promote because force unleashed at the time really catered to the older fans and Clone Wars catered to the younger fans. So I'm like, I get it. They, they want to say, hey, it's the Force Unleashed guy. He's with us. So he thinks it's, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, that type of thing. Yeah. Like a cross promotion, right. you know. 
And they said, come, come join us. And I'm like, great. And I'm thinking, cool, I'd, I'd love to do a few lines on the Clone Wars. And then and they said, it's a really cool part. I'm like, great, I'll do it. And then uh, maybe a week passes and they're like, hey, so it's a really, really cool part. And I'm like, well, I, I already said, yes, it's fine. I'm, I'm doing yeah. it. And then the third time, they're like, it's a really cool part. I'm like, how cool could this five lines be in this Clone Wars episode? They're like, no, no, no it's three episodes. I'm like, okay, <laughs> sure. And then I, and then someone, I can't remember someone talked to me. I think I read, I think I, I think I read the scripts and had a little bit of a conversation with someone. I don't remember who, I don't think it was Dave. I remember meeting Dave for the first time um, on the set or, you know, in the, in the studio, but they, it became clear <laughs> that the character I was meant to play was the dark side of the force. He was pretty, you know, they were in the dream world. And is it real? Is it not? Is this a dream that they're having? Is it a hallucination or is it a force vision? But it's like a whole world where it's a cave on Dagobah, you know, a place where time has no meaning and the events of Star Wars are all playing out in different ways. And and this character that they, they meet, the the son, who is a who's the dark side of the force, the daughter, who is the light side of the force, and the father, who is the unifying balance to the force, mm-hmm. you know? So suddenly I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, God, no, yeah. no, no, no. Like, it's it's bad enough to have to make a Star Wars protagonist with Starkiller and worry, because, you know, Star Wars fans have always been very, very particular and opinionated about what they will and will not accept. So I feel like I just escaped with the skin of my teeth by creating Starkiller and creating that vibe and having fans accept that and like that. I was like, great, great, lovely. <laughs> Did it. Moving on. And and then now they're asking me to play the dark side of the force. And I'm like, but that's a theme. I, I don't know how to play a theme. And how the, what the hell does, what does the dark side of the force sound like? This sucks. Why am I, oh no. The fans are going to go from loving me to hating me for all time because I will have played the dark side of the force terribly. I would have done a bad job. I would have done a weird, weak voice and it would have sucked. So then, and, and the scripts are great. I really like the scripts. So, so I show up the first day and, and to make matters worse, you got Ashley Eckstein and you got Donald Taylor and you got Matt Lanter and they are dialed in because now they're recording a year in, in advance. So I've been watching halfway through season two. These guys are like now halfway through season three and you can hear how good they are at their characters. Right. You can hear how confident they are in how their characters react. You know, they've been doing this now for years. And, and oh, I'm going to play the Dark Side of the Force, and I have no idea what my character is. Right. Like, not a clue. And if you listen, I hate to say this, but if you listen to the first episode, the voice is a little bit different than it is in the second <laughs> and the third episode. So, but, but thankfully, in the first episode, he didn't have that much dialogue. Right. So I started going with this kind of instinct of doing the character with a certain voice and very close to my own voice. Uh, and I, you know, and it's just, it's not working for me. And I, at some point I, in front of everyone, I, I well, okay. There's another little story. Basically at, at some point I, I rescue people from a little continuity gaff that would have been caught um, to my first and, impression that I made on Dave Filoni was the continuity gap. There was a scene, Matt Lanter and Shmi Skywalker, where Anakin is confronted by the ghost of his mother. And he says, I'm married. I have a wife. I want you to meet her. And they did this wonderful read on the scene and they were about to move on. And then I raised my hand like a sheepish second grader 
who doesn't feel like he's done his homework, right. but at least I, this, I can help. I can help with this. Yeah. And I'm like, Hey, you guys got to do that again. And Dave's like, uh, why <laughs> with his hat on and everything? And I don't really know this guy, Dave. And I'm like, well, but, but pa- Padme and Shmi Skywalker have met in the Phantom Menace. So he wouldn't say, I want you to meet her. He would say that he, you know, yeah. she met her. <laughs> and at that point, Dave was like, uh, and he put his hat down over his face. Cause he realized right <laughs> away that it was just, you know, he knew that yeah, he knew it. Good. Everyone knew it. He just missed it. And at that point, Ashley Eckstein looks at me and goes, I have never, ever seen someone out geek Dave Filoni before. And <laughs> made a big stir. And then Dave altered the dialogue and they got it right. And this is something that they absolutely would have, you know, yeah. caught. And then they would have re-recorded. But it would have cost them something to re-record it. So I was happy to save the company a little money since I was doing such a bad performance for them. <laughs> so here I am doing this terrible performance. And at some point, I finally... Because that continuity gap that I caught had earned some goodwill, I felt brave enough to ask a question that I'm, I'm so glad that Dave said what he said, because he, I said, Dave, <clears throat> are, are we a little uh, concerned that the son just, he sounds a little too much like Starkiller, you know, yeah. Starkiller just come out and hear the yeah. son sounds like Starkiller because I'm basically using a voice that's similar to my own voice and Starkiller is my own voice and, you know, shit. So I'm, I'm all depressed. I'm like, what do I, he he sounds too much like Starkiller. Does he sound too much like Starkiller? And Dave Filoni being a really good director with actors did the right thing. He lied. He, he, he could sense that an actor was losing confidence. And if an actor loses confidence, they don't have access to their instincts, Mm -hmm. to their impulses, to any of those things. They just feel insecure and shitty and you can't do your job. Right. But especially me, if I don't know what's going on or if I don't feel like I have a handle on what I'm doing, I just, I'm terrible. Mm -hmm. And so, so Dave saw that I was losing confidence and said to me the following, he goes, well, yeah, he is sounding a little bit like Starkiller, but the cool thing is, is that you are playing the dark side of the force and Starkiller was steeped in the dark side of the force. So if he sounds like Starkiller, that's okay. (laughs) And so I was like, so he bolstered me for a little bit and I finished the episode, not a lot of dialogue. And then I went home with his, his words ringing in my ear, you know, like, Star, because Starkiller had a connection to the dark side of the force and the sun is the dark side, he couldn't sound a little like, like Starkiller. But in order for that, for that to make sense, and I knew Dave was kind of lying to me, but it, you <laughs> yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. I, it was a lie that I needed to believe to get through the day. I'm like, in order for that lie to become the truth, <laughs> in order for this to work, for what he, you know, for that to make sense, you need to hear all of the Star Wars villains in the sun's voice. Uh-huh especially with these scripts, these scripts, you know, as it was explained to me, this is all of the events that would happen in star Wars, all reverberating and echoing, you know, themselves and, you know, and reoccurring in different ways. And so I'm like, well, what if every time that there is a line that sounds a little bit like a Vader line, I say it with a Vader cadence. And what if there's a line that sounds like a little bit Dooku or Palpatine or, you know, Maul let's, and let's do it subtly. Let's not go heavy with it, but let's just dip into it, dip into different characters. And so the next time now we're in, it's a week or two later and we're doing the next episode. And I start doing that in, you know, cause now my character has tons of dialogue and I'm like, <laughs> okay, it's either going to work or it's not. But I had at least something to lock into at this point. And I start doing it. And at some point, and at one point, Dave, after a take, he stops me. He's like, ah, uh, I see what you're doing. And I'm like, oh, it sucks. It's a bad idea. I'm like, do you want me to do it less? I'm doing it too much, right? He's like, no, you have to do it more. And I'm like, oh, yeah, we did it. This is it. Yeah. This is what we have to do. 
So, <laughs> so that was so. So suddenly, me and Dave were were now riffing on this idea of like, you know, when he says to Anakin, well, there's a there's a line. I think I think the line was like, "Sister, so I see you brought a friend." Mm-hmm. And so I was like, you know, and and Dave and I are riffing, and I'm like, "What if I do it like this, Dave?" Okay, action, you know. And it was like, "Sister, so I see you brought a friend." You know, I'm like, starts with a Vader thing, right. but then moves into a Palpatine thing. And and we just started having so much fun with that, of like dipping into these different characters. So by the end of that, I started feeling really kind of, I'm like, this is an interesting character. I like this character. I like this Mortis thing. Even though I had no idea that it was going to become what it was going to become. The Clone Wars scripts always read worse. They, they read interesting, but then they're always better when you see them. Right. They're like, oh my God, these ideas have been developed. And so... Um, so we were at some point moving away from that, feeling really good about the Mortis thing, or at least what we were trying to do, feeling good about that. Didn't know if it was going to work or not, but like feeling good about what we were trying. And, uh, we were doing a pickup session. And at that point there were already rumors that Darth Maul was going to survive. Right. (laughs) And at some point we're sitting and we're doing pickups and, and, uh, some other actor was in the booth and I was sitting next to Dave and Dave is like, what do you think about this thing about us bringing Darth Maul back? And I was like, yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's a little weird. It's a little weird. He's like, yeah. All right. Well, anyway, dude, thank you so much for coming in. You know, we'd finished our work. Right. Whatever. He's like, thanks for coming in. And, you know, we might actually have something for you like a year down the line. I'm like, oh, like like a bounty hunter or something? He's like, yeah, something like or that. Or something, yeah. And I never understood that there was a connection between the first thing he said and the second. <laughs> like, I never knew that he was, he was, you know, he was just kind of tapping me on the shoulder going, what do you think about that? So I had no clue. And a year later, uh, I get a call. <laughs> Someone's like, Dave's going to call you today. I'm like, okay. It's a really cool call. I'm like, okay, fine. And that day I was, I was having a very good day because I was driving to Drew Struzan's house and I was convincing him to, uh, as a favor to me to create a being human poster, uh-huh. like a painting. So I was having a, you know, and Dries Susan has done all the Star Wars posters and stuff. So I was already having a good Star Wars adjacent day that Dries Struzan was going to immortalize our tiny little low budget show with a Drew Struzan poster. And I was so excited. And, and on my way driving there, oh, you know, I have a call from Dave Filoni. So I, I pulled over. I'm like, okay, I should probably pull over and have this call. And I was in my car. And so Dave <laughs> gets on my, Hey man. <laughs> hey Dave. And without hesitating at all he just goes so listen man i need darth maul can you do it <laughs> and i was just like i mean dude my heart stops <laughs> at this point yeah. and everything in my head and in my heart ring you know the answer is so clear the answer is absolutely crystal clear and the answer is no of course <laughs> not i can't do that i don't know how to do that I'm not good at that. I'm not even a real good voice actor yet. I'm trying to figure it out. I don't know how to do this. I'm a I'm a on screen actor, and I still work hard at that. And that's hard for me. No, of course I can't. Of course I can't do Darth Maul. And so as I'm thinking this, the words that are coming out of my mouth are absolutely, man, no problem. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, I, I could do that. I could do that. <laughs> I'm like, well, you lied to me about. The son of Mortis. So I'm going to lie to you about Darth Maul. You, you, you need a guy. I understand what you're asking. You're asking when you say, "Can you do it?" You're saying, "Am I making a mistake by giving you this role?" Right. And 
what you need to hear from your actor is a level of confidence of saying, no, we're going to figure this out. It's going to be okay. Because Dave was, I could tell he was worried sick about this. It could, <laughs> could severely damage his show, which is now taking at that point, the clone wars is now starting to take off with the fans. The fans are starting to go, wait a second. There's some incredible stuff in the Mortis stuff was well-received and all that stuff. But now he wants, now Maul is going to come back. And this is all, you know, George is explaining that this is all going to happen. And, you know, these are all George's stories. And George came up with Mortis and all this other. It's like, I, oh, damn it. But, uh, you know, Dave needs to hear confidence from me. So I'll give it to him. So I lied to, to Dave and I said, yeah, I could do it. <laughs> I could do that. And then he said, great. Well, we're going to be, we're going to be talking more in the upcoming months. I'm like, okay, gotcha. So we get off the phone and my head's spinning and I have this incredible uh, duality between elation and just abject terror, <laughs> fear, <laughs> yeah. because it's like, dude, I got away with Starkiller and the fans liked it. I, creating a Star Wars protagonist is hard and they liked it. And then we got away with Mortis. I got to play the dark side. Dude, we I dodged two bullets. <laughs> now you're asking me to be like Neo from the Matrix and dodge like the 15 bullets right. like the machine gun bullets that are going to come at me when we're trying to bring back a character who died in phantom menace how the hell is this going to work and so for the next few months and and i was shooting being human at the time we would just get on the phone and we would discuss the story and the arc um from beginning to as far as you know as much story as george had given dave we were discussing it and that was the way that we could not only comfort each other, but, but try to plan out how we were going to approach this because George had some wild ideas, right? I mean, like it, it went back to Mortis, right? There was this whole thing where we did a scene in Mortis where the son talks to Darth Revan uh -huh. and all these dead Sith Lords and he's communing with them. And we recorded the scene uh -huh. and uh, it was a really good scene, but George cut it. And I'm like, why did he, why did George cut it? And Dave's like, well, George is really planting his feet in a way that he wants to differentiate the Sith and that philosophy from the Jedi, the Sith selfish philosophy and the Jedi selfless philosophy. Mm -hmm. He goes, you know, you have Obi-Wan Kenobi saying, if you strike me down, I will become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. And when Invader doesn't understand what the hell he is talking about, has no idea what that means. And he it thinks it's gobbledygook, it's meaningless. But what Kenobi is saying is, no, I've, I've already inspired the kid, Luke Skywalker, and, and I've, I've lived a more or less good life. So if you kill me, what I represent and the inspiration that I have delivered will live on. And thus, the metaphor for that is the Force ghost. The ghost of Obi-Wan is with Luke because he made an impression, the right impression on this kid. You know, if you live a good life, then you're the things you do and the way you will be remembered. Well, hell you will be remembered. People will think of you and they will want to think of you and they will want to think of you fondly. And therefore you live on beyond death. Sith George was like, they can't do that. And they're jealous of that. And they're afraid of death. And that's part, you know, it's part and parcel of why they keep accumulating things, accumulating wealth, accumulating power, accumulating influence over people, accumulating relationships, but in a very selfish way. What George wanted to explain was, it's also why they're so hard to kill because they're so <laughs> self-obsessed. So they do everything they can to hold on to what they have. You know, the emperor is like hundreds of years old. They're out of her, he, oh, oh, Return of the Jedi and his body's falling apart, but he's holding on to that because 
the alternative is to lose it all and die. You know, and he hasn't lived a good life, so no one's going to want to think of him fondly. He dies. Right. He dies. He's, he's dead. That's it. Same thing with Vader. Vader is scarred and destroyed. A Jedi, if he was wounded like that, would have let himself go knowing that he had done in the world. He'd already done it right. at that point. If he had been wounded and fighting for what was right and was dying, he would have allowed himself to let go and pass on into the Force, knowing that, you know, a part of him would remain. Vader, lying on the, you know, shores of Mustafar, is so self-obsessed that it's preferable to live this awful, uh, hideous um, shadow of his former existence rather than lose it all, right? So, so going forward, Dave is explaining, George is going to play that theme out with Maul and how he, you know, he's, <laughs> he is so obsessed with himself and he's so obsessed with accumulating things like the Sith do, but he's been dumped garbage world you know he got sucked into a trash chute in Naboo and taken to a garbage world but he kept himself alive with the power of the dark side and all this stuff and as as he's been left in this garbage world half a man he's become quite mad but he's still self-obsessed and so he's accumulating garbage and gathering garbage around himself and, and as the years go on and as his madness increases and the, and the power of the dark side starts animating the pieces of garbage at these spider legs that he uses to get around to sort of protect him, to cocoon him in this layer, this layer with flames mm. that are underneath the earth, very much like hell. So we're talking about all this stuff. I'm like, oh my God, this is some crazy George Lucas mythology and insane stuff. And here I am like a young actor learning about how you kind of create a new idea that it sounds crazy. And it only sounds crazy because you haven't really seen anything like that before. But George Lucas wanted this story, you know, sort of like Heart of Darkness where Savage has to go to hell to pluck out the soul of his dead brother and bring him back to the living. Right. You know, it's a very weird, messed up story with the serpent, you know, who's guiding him into, into the pits of hell. I mean, it's like, it's, it's, it's mythological stuff. So we're talking about all this stuff. And then Dave was saying, listen, man, I really want him to, I think he should be like Gollum. And I'm like, okay, well, I think he should, I, I agree with you what if we go put him in a direction where he's like Gollum when we find him, but, but also he's kind of like Colonel Kurtz from Apocalypse Now, speaking of Heart of Darkness. Right. Let's go in that direction. I, I think George might really like that, you know, Francis Ford Coppola. Let's <laughs> put some Coppola into it. And so that led to, you know, again, all these discussions and how we also talked about like Wrath of Khan and we talked about everything from, from Greek mythology to Star Trek to everything to try to figure out how to create this character and how we would, make him quite mad to begin with. And then he starts putting himself back together in every episode. We'd add a new little element to his personality. And eventually we'd add a sense of humor because we reasoned that if Darth Sidious follows this rule of two, you can't, you know, cause everyone at that time portrayed Maul as a silent, deadly killer, much like he was in Phantom Menace. And me and Dave were like, no, that doesn't make sense. Because if you only have one shot at an apprentice with the rule of two, and you can only have one apprentice, you have to guy. You, you have to find a guy who can do it all. Right. You can't just. You can't just be a good killer who's going to be a silent hunter. He's going to. He's got to be kind of brilliant. And if he was raised under Sidious, he's going to have also a little sense of humor, and he's going to. He's he's got to be able to take the mantle at some point. So we started developing this personality and all this stuff. But yeah, many 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 discussions, and then finally we were after all those discussions, we were finally in the vocal booth. And then much like 
apocalypse now. Or I'll, I'll never forget that, you know, Maul is supposed to be quite mad. And the only way this is going to work, because so many fans are going, you know, much like, you know, they, they fall into the trap because of their love for Star Wars. They can fall into the trap of, of, being, of thinking a little bit like Sith for a second, of being like, well, if we give them something, they think that's the way it's going to be forever. And it's like, no. You know, like when you give them the Mandalorians, like it's the Mandalorians are bringing Mandalorians and they're pacifists. And they're like, Mandalorians are pacifists. Be like, give it a second. You're going to get what you want, but we're going to talk about how we get there. We're going to get there. We're going to tell a story with that, you know, and Darth Maul, everyone's expecting him to be like, you know, Darth Maul, like I'm back. But that's a terrible story. If he's just, is just Darth Maul, you have to, there has to be a major cost to him being defeated on Naboo. So we do the madness thing, the spider thing, and the only way to to get the fans on board was to commit 500% and go as as horrifying and scary and crazy as we could. And none of that dialogue that he mumbles to himself had been written. Uh, so, you know, much like, <laughs> not to liken myself to Brando, because I'm not, but, you know, much like Marlon Brando sat in that cave and ad-libbed a bunch of dialogue on camera for Apocalypse Now, we try something similar with Maul. So we just had me mumbling all kinds of nonsense and all kinds of stuff. And the first time we did that and I was losing my mind and going crazy. And I was the only one in the booth at that point, you know, and it's the first time Dave is hearing Maul. And of course this is the mad Maul that we're getting. And I remember doing a take of screaming and crying and all this stuff. And there was a big pause and a lot of talking in the room. And I'm thinking, Oh no, it's not working. After all these months of discussion, I've blown it. It sucks. And then Dave hits the button to talk through the glass and he goes, sorry for the delay. We are just, uh, we are uh, discussing and congratulating me for my wisdom in hiring you for Darth Maul. <laughs> I'm like, cool, great, great. So, uh, so anyway, from there we, we carried on Clancy Brown was incredible to work with. I loved working with Clancy and what a wonderful character as Savage Press. And so that yeah, that's how we started push character. And we, we sort of made a deal that every time we brought him back, we would add something to his character that maybe people haven't seen. And I do believe that for these last four episodes, we follow through on that rule with Darth Maul. Or Maul, rather. Formerly Darth. It is incredible to see his evolution, right? Because Phantom Menace, he's just a badass. You're like, oh, that's great. And he dies. And then through Clone Wars, end of Clone Wars, he has a sense of humor. And then you get to Rebels, and he's a 56-year-old master, right? And then what happens during Solo? And you see this kind of chart of this character, and you've really been able to bring that to life. With Solo especially, was there a difference for you communicating this character to live action and having to then work with Ray Park, the original Maul, bring that to, to fuller life? The difference in, in live action is that y- you need to pull back a little bit vocally, I think, um, because because the nature of it, right? right? It, it, it's a, it's exactly the same, exactly the same character, but, you know, just pull back by 15% or so. Keep it a little bit more contained, you know? What's interesting, what I think is really interesting about these last four Clone Wars episodes is I could really sense Dave Filoni's experience with live action influencing the way that we were performing mall because we really gave it more of the film read in this, in these episodes. This is, this is more of how I would have done him for 
feature film rather than animated. You know, with animated, you you really do need to push a little bit more to uh, to tell the story mm-hmm. vocally. You know, you need to make sure that that's all you have to work with. You have to make sure that, that story is told vocally. With this, we uh, you could tell Dave was a little bit more confident in everything and understood more about about live action. His perspective on actors has completely shifted. So yeah, everyone was was rather pulled back for these last four Clone Wars episodes. And I, by the way, I, I recently just saw. I mean, as you said, lighting Twitter on fire. I've, I've seen three of the four to the fourth today, and uh, boy, I'm happy. I can't wait. I can't <laughs> really wait. Happy. I can't believe we're getting Clone Wars back, and yeah. it's also very good. You know, like it's a it's a it's a nice gift to have um, for a Star Wars fan. Yeah, you know what it is is with this with this season, it's um, you know, because Bad Batch and even Ahsoka's story were not originally meant to be leading into the finale of the show. That's not how they were originally designed to be, and so it had to be retrofit a little bit. You know, like for example, the scene with Padme really kind of need that. You know, heading into the Siege of Mandalore, and uh, and Ahsoka's story really needed to be streamlined so that it was her exploring. I don't know, from my point of view, her exploring what it really means for her to be a Jedi. Even though she says she's not a Jedi, it's like, no, she's learning how to be an old school Jedi. She's learning how to be original Qui-Gon Jinn style Jedi, which is my take anyway. Um, So you really need to streamline those things. But Siege of Mandalore is a different animal, dude. It's, uh, I mean, the cinematography, the sound design, the music, uh, all of it is kind of better than anything we've ever done, including the the new season stuff, the animation, the facial performances. Yeah. Um, they almost have a live action feel to them. Also, the script is great. Um, I mean, dude, I, again, I through <laughs> through a little uh, mix up, I didn't get the fourth episode, but the three that I saw, man out there and I watched a proper Star Wars movie. It was incredible. I was I was, you know, just goosebumps. It, it was uh impressive. And and finales are so so hard. Finales are really difficult to do. I mean like I remember on being human, you know, the the the, the thing you really need going into a finale is you really need to know what story you're telling. And on being human, I remember getting the script and uh you know, a lot of scripts they were they were we had a working relationship on being human where we had a really nice pipeline to the writers and we could discuss script stuff in fact we discussed every script before we shot it and it really streamlined things on set it made things a lot faster in terms of getting it done because we had a real understanding of what we were going for because we would constantly talk to the writers and they tell us where things are going and everything that they knew and we would question things and they would and and we would have really good faith debates over what was the best move or is this a good idea or might it be better if we do this or that? And, you know, hurtling toward the final on the finale on being human, you know, you're just so worried that where is our, where is our story going to land? Because it has to be the thesis of the entire show, really. You know, the whole show has to amount to, to a statement in the last episode. And I remember that Anna Fricky delivered a script that I just had no questions about. It was so right that I just had nothing to say. I was just like, let's just let's shoot it. I know, I know what you're doing. This is great. It's like the best script Ever. I am so impressed. And so going into Clone Wars finale, you know, you better believe I was excited, but very nervous to read Dave's script because here you are, your, your show got canceled, our show got canceled, and we're back. And you really want to make sure that you stick the landing 
and uh, you read the script and damn, you know, you're reading the script and reading the script from the Dave wrote. And I'm like, man, this guy has come a long way. This is like the most exciting Clone Wars script I've ever read. And so seeing it uh, yesterday was just very, very special because it was working. <laughs> it was really working. And the pacing was great. And, and the episodes were really playing well together as a movie. You know, like some arcs, I think, do that. And other arcs, it's better to watch them one episode at a time. This one was just like hurtling you into the next <laughs> episode. It was just so great. Um, so, you know, again, and, and the, the thing I have the most question about is that Dave did not include the last pages of the script. So I don't quite know <laughs> what the last ending moments of this whole thing are. Yeah. And I haven't seen it yet. And I'm going to see it today. So I'm very excited. But the, the three quarters that I saw were like the best stuff we've done. And I was so happy with it. And I was so happy with how Maul came out because there's a, you know, he's got an arc in this. It's really neat. Um, but, you know, Ashley was great. Katie Sackoff was wonderful. D as usual, D is, you know, <laughs> just killing it yeah. as, thousands of clone troopers and captain rex um james and all taylor was wonderful uh everyone was great i was really really happy with it man i feel like i can just like run through a brick wall now thank you for the hour of uh, star wars 101 just incredible stuff uh mr sam whitware i don't want to take too much more of your time <laughs> thank you thank you thank you for coming on the show cool yeah no i i, I can talk that can happen no this is great this is this is, this is just what yeah. i needed and then yeah this is gonna be perfect because this episode will come out right before the third episode perfect timing cool. to just get everyone uh running through brick walls as well right well let's just hope that the last uh episode doesn't suck <laughs> right. that would be great you do have you, I mean, <laughs> you put the caveat then, then everything i say i look like an idiot right i mean here's the thing here's the thing i i have yet to be when dave keeps big secrets from us i have I do not have the experience of being let down on the big secrets. Right. You know, when he dismisses actors from, from certain scenes, he goes, everyone leave the room, you know, stuff like that. Those are always the most special ones. And he has absolutely closed the shutters on this one. You know, like, and I talked to him yesterday. I'm like, I was ex excluded from the last episode. What's, what's the deal here? I'm, I'm even in it. What's the, you know, and he's like, you know, no, I don't know. You can see it. You can see it. <laughs> I, I think that was, maybe we were being too, too judicious. Sure. You know, it's, I'll have them send it to you. <laughs> so, and dude, again, imagine you're watching a new Star Wars movie, right? And, and Star Wars movie that you're really approving of, right. right? I mean, it's, look, I'm like most fans, right? I, Star Wars going forward, you know, it was at one point, all about one dude's vision, George Lucas, very autobiographical. And, and his work includes five of which are independent movies that he funded himself, which is, you know, people don't think of it that way. The Star Wars are indie movies, you know. And then, uh, and then he makes this TV show, which, you know, again, kind of a, his own thing, funding it and all this stuff. Um, and that's his work. His work from Star Wars is the, is, is, six Star Wars episodic movies and the Clone Wars TV show. And the Clone Wars was his last word on Star Wars. So, you know, the, the most meaningful thing I think for any of us, I know for Dave is that we finally get to finish George Lucas's Star Wars. And, and, you know, much like a lot of fans, I have my favorite Star Wars stuff. And then if you, and then if you move forward, it, it like Star Trek, right? Star Trek fans have learned this lesson. If you want Star Trek to continue in any form, which I do, it does need to be handed to other people because other people have to have their shot at telling a story in that universe and star Wars, you know, moving forward, if people want it to continue has become like star Trek. And if you don't like something, just 
give it a second, wait to see what's coming next. And maybe your favorite thing will be down the road, but everything is a building block. Like for example, Star Trek, the motion picture, people generally didn't like that movie, but without Star Trek, the motion picture, you don't get wrath of Khan. You don't get Star Trek, the next generation. You don't, you know what I mean? Like these are all building blocks and these are, you know, and, and they're worthy of, of being supported. But having said that, my favorite stuff, and this is all, there, there's a point to all of this, this diatribe. My favorite Star Wars is the George Lucas Star Wars. And the stuff, you know, like, for example, Rogue One, I feel like fits very well within George Lucas's Star Wars and takes a lot of stuff that I knew about from, you know, secrets at Lucasfilm and ideas that George had and brings them to the screen. And, and so the thing that is the most meaningful for all of us, and I know for Dave, about this Clone Wars thing that we're doing, and this finale in particular, the most meaningful thing is that we are concluding the George Lucas Star Wars with this, that George has his fingerprints all over this show and his fingerprints are all over the finale as well. Like he was like, he's not with the company anymore and he's making museums now and living a life and, you know, <laughs> doing stuff. So he wasn't there when we were producing this finale, but the story is his. Right. And we got to finally finish George's story. We got to implement it. Dave got to put, you know, his heart and soul into it. So it's very much Dave Filoni, but it's also George Lucas. And so we finally, you know, I get to close this chapter on the George Lucas Star Wars, um, which is again, my favorite stuff of all time. Anything, anything that feels like it fits in George's universe is my favorite stuff. And, and I hope that, that George agrees with me. <laughs> I hope that he likes what we did so i'll leave you with that all right well i'm running out of walls to run through uh sam what thank you again so much for for coming on this was a, a real real honor a real treat awesome man nice to talk at you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you bye-bye Again, I just want to thank Mr. Whitworth for one of the best episodes that I have ever put together for this show. His passion and love of this saga makes his role in these stories even more incredible. You can find him on Twitter, at Sam Whitwer, as well as his website, samwitwer.com. His newest album, Revenge of the Crash Tones, is some great music to blast while working from home. Until next time, stay tuned, leave a five-star review, and may the Force be with you.